Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. The countdown to kickoff is officially on as Big Ten Media Days are in the books and fall camp begins this week. And we will begin this year's countdown to kickoff series with a look at 10 questions about this Purdue team ahead of practice beginning on Tuesday. Purdue set to begin a new era under Ryan Walters. I know I have been waiting quite a long time to get to this point where we really start previewing the 2023 season. I am sure you have been too. Let's get going. Be sure if you're not subscribed, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts because we have a lot of good episodes coming between now and the start of the season. And then, of course, we'll be here all season long. And be sure to follow along on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. I'll tweet plenty of thoughts there as we get ready for the season. So be sure to uh, follow there. And feel free to send me a DM, send me an email at uh, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. Talk, send in questions, any comments, um, always welcome all of that. But, you know, I did want to start off here. Big Ten Media Days were last week, kind of the unofficial kickoff of the season, as Media Days are typically called. You know, look, these things, as I said on last week's show, they don't quite serve the same purpose they used to, and I think every year you see that more and more pretty watered down. It's not like you heard a ton from Ryan Walters that was earth-shattering, um, you know, excited to get going, all of that, excited for, you know, to be at Purdue to build something, um, you know, all the standard stuff. So nothing crazy there, not like, not that I would have expected anything crazy, but, um you know, I was interested to hear what Tony Petiti, the Big Ten commissioner, had to say. And, you know, with the conference realignment dominoes that fell last week, makes it a little bit more relevant um, to hear what he had to say. And, you know, right now, I, I don't think anything big is going to happen at the Big Ten. But, you know, these things can change overnight. Uh, the one thing I did want to touch on, though, that came from Big Ten Media Days was the release of the Cleveland.com poll that is kind of the unofficial Big Ten preseason media poll since the conference doesn't do one anymore. And Purdue finished, got picked sixth in the Big Ten West. Um, You know, this one, obviously, Purdue fans didn't like seeing it on Twitter. Understandably so. Um, I think objectively, though, it's really hard to fight this too much. I think if I were putting a ballot together, I think anywhere four through six is probably pretty defensible for Purdue. Uh, I think Wisconsin and Iowa are a clear one, too, in the West. I think Minnesota has been consistent enough over the past five, six years or so. They probably deserve a benefit of the doubt. And then, you know, you've got Illinois, you've got Nebraska, you've got Purdue, I think you can pick those any number of ways. I think anything is defensible there. Northwestern, a clear number seven. Um, Everything up there just keeps getting worse and worse. I cannot imagine uh, how bad they are going to be this year. I I just don't see that going well. You know, 
the argument for ranking Purdue higher is that they're the you know they're the reigning Big Ten West champions. They won it last year, and that's true to a degree. I mean, the only thing that stayed the same about Purdue from last year to this year is the name on the front of the jersey. Uh, the roster is entirely different. You've got about 40 new scholarship players this year, uh, between 30 and 40. You have an entirely new coaching staff. Your best players, you know, the kind of the core five guys that led last year's group, they're all gone. It's very fair to question Purdue. The schedule doesn't help. It's a brutal schedule. Uh, next week, we're going to go in-depth looking at the schedule, but you know, anytime you get both Ohio State and Michigan, that should probably knock you down a bit. Um, so Ryan Walters handled a question about this pretty well. You know, he mentioned, yeah, you know, we notice it. Uh, we it gives us fuel to the fire, uh, but you know, we notice where we're projected to finish, and you know, that's the that's the appropriate response if you ask me. Uh, these things don't mean everything, but it's certainly worthwhile to know where Purdue is and, you know, we'll see ultimately how accurate this is because there are plenty of unknowns in the Big Ten West this year. But wanted to get into these 10 questions I have about this team entering fall camp. And, you know, it's not like I expect all of these to be answered during camp. Uh, it's not like we're, I don't think we're going to have, you know, the ability to go watch practice uh, like Jeff Brom did a little bit towards the end of his tenure. Um, he really opened it up for fans to go see. I don't think that's going to be reality this year. That is okay. Um, I think, you know, what we find out will be pretty limited. But number one, you know, does Purdue have a difference maker at wide receiver? Or is this just kind of a rank-and-file group? You know, when you look at what Purdue has had over the last five years, Purdue's had a legitimate alpha at wide receiver every year. Rondale Moore led to David Bell, who led to Charlie Jones, and now we're here. This is a very different offensive scheme. Uh, that certainly changes things. You know, one of the key features of a Jeff Brom offense is that he would find matchups he likes and exploit the hell out of it. Uh, that's a good thing. It worked for Purdue very well. Uh, you look at what David Bell did against Iowa. You look at what Charlie Jones did a few times last year, even in the opener against a good Penn State secondary. Um, that's something that Purdue did a nice job of. This year, I don't think it's going to be as single receiver dominant because, let's face it, no one stands out as someone who is going to be that true dominant guy. TJ Sheffield is your most accomplished receiver coming into this year. Um, 86 receptions, over 800 yards, and nine touchdowns on his career. A nice little stat line. Um, you know, no doubt there. But I think, you know, you look at the rest of these guys. Jamal Edrine comes in from Florida Atlantic. Maybe he can be someone who makes an instant impact. You know, you've got a lot of guys who haven't quite broken through yet at Purdue. Mershon Rice, Abdul Ramanyasin, about Dion Burks, the big guy Elijah Canyon. 
Uh, Purdue got Jaden Dixon Veal to flip from Oregon State as a JUCO transfer this summer. So there are a lot of names here, but again, does Purdue have a real difference maker? Do they have someone, you know, who could flirt with an all-conference team? I don't know. Um, High-level receiver play will make any offense better, though, and Purdue would like to have someone who can really step up. My second question comes on the offensive line. Does Purdue have enough depth at offensive tackle? We've talked about how many guys Purdue brought in during this transfer cycle to play the offensive line. There were a lot of them. A lot of them. But the majority of them, if not all of them, are probably interior guys to play guard or center. Uh, we've, we've talked about the difficulties of landing tackles in the transfer portal, and that really shows here. Uh, I think Purdue really wanted to add tackles. That doesn't mean that these guys they added are bad. It just means, you know, Purdue might be kind of thin at tackle. Mahamne Musa is established at left tackle. He'll be there. But we did learn at Big Ten Media Day that Purdue is going to go with Marcus Bowe to start fall camp at right tackle. That can be interpreted two ways. You know, number one, if you want an optimistic view of it, the depth at guard is good enough that he can move out. You know, that Purdue is Purdue's all set at guard and you want to get your best five guys on the field. So, you know, you move Bo out to guard and load up the inside. If you want to look at it a little bit negatively, you know, you could say, well, is anyone else capable of starting at right tackle? You know, Daniel Johnson played a little bit last year, um, but he got hurt early on. Uh, he's, he's serviceable. But how about the rest of these guys? Can any of these guys go out and play traf- uh, Excuse me, play uh, play tackle? I don't know. Uh, so that's that's one that you know I don't really know whether whether we have a great answer to. It is worth noting too. You know, Gus Hartwig is going to miss the start of the season for Purdue. By all accounts, uh, he suffered a pretty serious injury against Northwestern last year. That's a big one. Uh, who slides in at center, and how does that impact the rest of the line? Lots of moving parts there, but the depth at tackle is really concerning. Number three, if Hudson Card goes down, is there a quarterback Purdue can win with? You know, you look at what Purdue has in that quarterback room right now, and there's plenty of hype around Hudson Card. And there should be. He's an exciting piece for Purdue to add. But what if he gets hurt? You know, it's this is something for the last six years, we have to go back to 2016 to find the last time Purdue has started a quarterback for all 12 games in a season. Uh, that was David Blau the last year of Daryl Hazel. It's not happened ever since. Bennett Meredith comes in, Arizona State transfer, You've got Ryan Brown, the true freshman, and then you've got a walk-on in Kyle Adams, who seems to be decently well-regarded. Who's the backup? And if something happens to Hudson Card, can Purdue win with one of these guys? You know, the, the difficult part here is that when you think about kind of the way a season goes, Purdue's most winnable games are on the front and back ends of the season. The... In, you know, the inside, kind of the meat of the schedule, is the most difficult. 
So if Hudson Card, you know, if he gets hurt in the middle of the year, can these guys go out and compete? Because uh, there's no experience to speak of there. You know, I think maybe could these guys win you a non-conference game or beat Northwestern or Indiana? You have to hope the answer is yes, because history tells you it's likely that Purdue's going to need one of these guys at some point. This is going to be a question every year moving forward, though, if you ask me. You look at the transfer portal and what it does to the quarterback position, that's a group of players who really wants to play. Quarterbacks don't like to sit. It is really, really hard to accumulate a lot of quarterback depth at you know the Big Ten level, at any level now. So that's something that I think is going to be really interesting to note there. Uh, this was a problem last year too. You know, I remember asking the same question last year, and then you know Aiden O'Connell goes out, and Purdue probably was fortunate to get out of the Florida Atlantic game with a win. So Purdue will hope for backup quarterback play to at least be serviceable uh, and give them a chance to hang in games should something happen to Hudson Card this year. Number four, you know. This is one that I, I'm really curious to see. Can Purdue's run game become above average? And this is kind of a multifaceted question because we know what Devin Maccabee is capable of. That's kind of the known commodity in this question. But the rest of it, how about the other running backs and how about the offensive line? And, you know, really, how about the quarterback? Um, Purdue's running back room is going to be interesting because – I think Tyrone Tracy's a really critical player to the this year's team. You know, again, kind of like we talked about with quarterback a moment ago, running back's a position where guys get dinged up a lot. Guys get dinged up fairly easily from playing the running back position. Uh, it's no different than what's going on in the NFL game right now with teams not wanting to pay running backs because, well you know, to a degree, if you're at the pro level, they're replaceable and they get hurt a lot. For Purdue, you know, we know what Devin Maccabee is. We know he's a legit, legit number one running back. Can Tyrone Tracy be a legit number two? I don't know if Dylan Downing's a legit number two or not. He's a good short yardage option. Uh, not a ton of game changing speed there. So how, you know, can Tyrone Tracy be a number two? If that's the case, I think the answer to this is yes. Of course, the offensive line plays a big role too. Uh, can they stick together? Can they really form a nice unit? I think they have a couple of nice pieces, but how that all comes together remains to be seen. The quarterback plays an interesting role in this too. I think Hudson Card is probably capable of running more than he will. I think with this year though, he is of such high importance to Purdue that they probably won't try to run him too much because if he gets hurt, Purdue, as we said in the last question, Purdue could be in some real trouble there. But, you know, the run game is going to look a little different. It's going to be a pretty simple scheme, I think. Uh, Purdue's going to try to get its best players the ball with room to work with, both in the pass game and the run game. On the defensive line, number five here. Does the interior of the defensive line pack enough of a punch? Last year, Purdue had a pretty solid group up front 
but three of those starters all depart to the transfer portal. Jack Sullivan's at Southern Cal. Branson Dean is at Miami. Lawrence Johnson is at Auburn. So Purdue's replacing all of those guys, and they got a lot of transfers to do so. Jeffrey Emba, the transfer from Auburn uh, by way of Independence Community College before that. He's kind of the star of the show in this unit. Um, a lot of hype around him. He could be a really key player. But how about the other SEC transfers? You know, they get Isaiah Nichols from Arkansas, uh, Malik Langham from Vanderbilt. Can those guys come in and be real plus guys right away? Uh, Suleiman Kapaka is back. Uh, Demarje Lewis comes off of a season-ending injury last year that happened in fall camp. We haven't seen him since the Music City Bowl against Tennessee. How's Purdue? How does Purdue line up at this? You know, in this area, because that's one thing that we'll talk about deeper on the defense preview episode. But part of what made Ryan Walters' defense last year so good at Illinois was the fact that he had two legit studs on the interior of the defensive line and Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph. I don't think Purdue's going to have that level of play this year from the interior of the defensive line, but can they get close? That's going to be something to watch. Question six is a little related to that because you go to the outside of the defensive line, kind of the outside linebacker position that Purdue's going to run. And you've got three guys who all who I think you want to get on the field quite a bit. You know, uh, Kydra Jenkins is pretty proven. He's been a real nice piece the last two years. But then you've got Corday Sidnor and you've got Nick Scourton, formerly Nick Carraway. Uh, those guys are really ready for it to be their time to go shine. Outside linebacker, in my opinion, might be the best unit on this team coming into the season. I think there's some real depth there. Um some real depth there that Purdue doesn't have at other positions. But how do you maximize the production from those three guys? You can really only have two of them on the field at the same time. Um, how do you maximize that? Does one of them slide into inside linebacker? Do you get a nice rotation going? You know, I don't know. But Purdue needs to maximize that because they've got some real talent in that room. And that's going to be the unit that probably needs to lead the way for the Purdue defense here in 2023. Number seven, going to inside linebacker. How important will the shortage of inside linebackers prove to be? You know, Purdue lost Jacob Wahlberg at the end of spring practice and then wasn't able to add another linebacker via the portal. So this is a pretty thin area here for Purdue. Uh, I don't know whether... This is going to be a big problem or not because Purdue's not going to have more than one or two inside linebackers on the field at a time. We know what OC Brothers is. You know, he's a solid player there, but then who? You know, you've got Clyde Washington. That's where Yanni Karloftis is going to try to play this year, see if he can finally get on the field. Uh, this is going to be an area that. You know, it's not the most important part of a Ryan Walters defense, but you need it to at least be solid. Uh, you're going to see a lot of teams that want to run the ball this year, and if you don't have great depth on the interior of the defensive line or a great push there, 
then the linebacker play becomes all that more important. Uh, we'll see what happens there. That's going to be an interesting one to watch. I want to know, in question eight, if the transfer cornerbacks are going to really click. There are a lot of them. Um, Purdue brought in, I think, six transfers at corner during this portal cycle. Uh, Marquise Brown from Penn State, Salim Turner Muhammad from Stanford. Those are going to be the most important two guys to this season, if you ask me. Uh, those guys are going to be counted on to make an instant impact. So how well that works is going to be really important. You know, Purdue needs these guys to be legit Big Ten caliber corners from day one because that's something that this defense relies heavily on. They will go a lot of one-on-one. They'll go a lot of cover zero. Um, I think Purdue, I think Walter has went more cover zero than anyone else in America last year. Corners are going to be on an island. How ready are they for that? We shall see. Uh, Purdue added a couple guys from Ole Miss too. Markevious Brown, Braxton Myers. I think Brown is the far more likely to play this year because Brown, uh, Myers is a true freshman. But um, Brown's going to be a guy who sees the field. Uh, Botros Alessandro came in as a Juco guy. How does he mix in right away? Uh, you know, you look at this room. Everyone besides Jamari Brown is a giant unknown at this point. There are a few recruiting holdovers from the past regime. How well do those guys fit in? We've not really seen them play much. So this room's a giant unknown. And this room, more than any, besides quarterback, I think will determine how good this Purdue team can or cannot be. Number nine, a question that I'm really interested in, who's kicking the field goals for this year's team? Gone is Mitchell Finneran, a guy who was very solid, but also limited. Uh, we talked about this a lot last year because it drove me crazy when he would be asked to kick field goals from longer than 40 yards when we knew he was not capable of making them. Uh, he was absolutely money from 40 yards and in. From farther out than that, it wasn't going to happen. But he leaves as Purdue's most accurate kicker all time, I believe, uh, so he's got to be replaced. A couple of guys here on the roster, Ben Freehill, uh, he transferred in a couple years ago, I think. Julio Macias up from uh, Noble County, Indiana. West Noble, maybe? Central Noble? I can't remember. One of the Nobles. But, uh, you know, this is going to be, again, a spot to watch. Freehill's handled some kickoff duties before. Uh, is he going to be the guy who goes out and kicks the field goals? Because that's a key area, uh, a game. You know, you look at Purdue's schedule right now, a lot of games that project to be close, uh, a lot of games that, you know, are going to be inside of a touchdown point spread. In theory, those games should come down to the wire. So Purdue's got to be good kicking field goals this year. Special teams have to be a strength. Who's it going to be? And are they capable? And then finally, number 10, you know, the final scheduled question here. What's reasonable to expect from this team? I keep coming back to this because, you know, as you know, I keep a pretty good pulse on Twitter, on message boards. I want to know what fans are saying uh, when I do this show. And, 
you know, there, there are a pretty wide range of opinions out there on this year's group, but I want to know what's realistic. You know, anytime you have as many new players as Purdue does inherently, that's a reason for concern. Uh, that's a lot of turnover. You're trying to get guys to click right away. It's a very new roster. Uh, you have new schemes being installed. You have a lot of changes. And then on top of that, you have a tough schedule. What's reasonable? Uh, I think I said on here last week or two weeks ago, I could see Purdue at like three and nine, four and eight. I could see Purdue at like six and six, seven and five. Anything outside of that range, I have a tough time seeing, but that's a pretty big range. You know, three and nine to seven and five is a four game difference and a gigantic difference in how fans leave this season feeling. What is it? How good how good is it fair to expect this team to be? Uh, how how you know how competitive are they going to be in the Big Ten West? Again, these aren't this isn't a question that's going to be answered, you know, just from Ryan Walters in a press conference or from the limited amount of media access at fall camp. But you know, what's reasonable to expect here? I'd love to know that. We're not going to get an answer to that. And then my little fun bonus here, will the stadium be done on time? I say that mostly jokingly. Uh, every update from Purdue has been that it's going to be done on time. But, you know, as we sit here on July 30th, a little over a month out, uh, it's not done yet. So we will see. We will see what it looks like. Um, certainly needs to be done. Uh, needs to be done and looking good and get the era started strong. But uh, that's what we've got for the questions here. I'm going to close with a thought on conference realignment, though, because as Colorado leaves the Pac-12 for the Big 12, you know, I'm not going to go down my soapbox of how I don't really love all of this, but what I will say in terms of Purdue, you know, the, the questions now are what are the next dominoes to fall? Does the ACC implode? Does the Pac-12 just completely dissolve? What happens next? And, you know, we've seen this from both the Big Ten and the SEC that publicly they do not seem very eager to expand past 16. I don't know that they really should. But, you know, that's kind of the approach that they've taken to this point. And if you're Purdue... You know, obviously money is the motive here. Uh, that's the great motive of all of this. I think you ought to be very careful that the next time someone gets proposed to join the Big Ten because you are really helping yourself competitively by this. You know, you'll see the rumors of Washington and Oregon. I think if the Big Ten wanted them, they'd already have them. Um, you'll see the rumors that, you know, if the ACC implodes, maybe the Big Ten can get North Carolina or Virginia. Purdue's just got to be careful that you, you know, you don't let yourself get into a conference that's just too big and too strong. Uh, I, I'd be curious to know what the presidents of these universities are saying that aren't necessarily the best on the field. Purdue, Indiana, uh, Illinois, Minnesota, 
what's the real value here of adding more teams if you're just going to add more losses? I think that's the question that a lot of these Big Ten commissioner, or excuse me, these Big Ten presidents have to ask because the Big Ten could really get anyone they wanted right now outside of the SEC. I'm interested to see that. Um, you know, the Big 12 looks like it's going to be in solid shape. The Big Ten and the SEC are in solid shape. The rest of this is one giant unknown. And while I don't like it, that's just the reality of college sports today. But that's all I've got for today. Thank you for spending some time with me. Next week, we will be back to take a look at Purdue's schedule. A little bit of an in-depth look at the opponents on the calendar this year. So we will do that. Tweet me any questions you have about the schedule to Boilers Beyond. Or I guess it's X now. Um, X me your thoughts, questions, comments. Doesn't quite have the same ring to it. You can also email me, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com, and be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. But that's all I've got for today. Thank you guys for spending some time with me as always, and until next week, you all take care.